Hi, this is Corey Olson, and welcome to Students of the Word. This podcast consists of recordings of the weekly Bible study I've started running in February of 2022. I'm doing close reading, uh, which means we're going very slowly, thinking really carefully about the words, how everything fits together, and then, of course, also thinking about what this means for us and what we do with it. Thanks for listening, and I pray that God will bless the reading of his word as we study together. Okay, welcome to episode 18. So in today's episode, we're going to start with uh, a recap and a little further discussion of the new and old business that we were looking at last time, how this is a new commandment, but it's an old commandment, but actually it's kind of a new commandment too. We're going to go over that a little bit more, which we spent a bunch of time on last time. But then we're going to go on to look at the other really pretty puzzling elements of this verse, and that is what he means when he says, which thing is true in him and in you, in Jesus and in you. Like, what is true and how is it true in all of us and how does that work? And then, of course, to look at the image that he gives of the true light shining and the darkness passing. So that's going to be the focus today. Uh, So get ready to dig in and we'll get right to it. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Students of the Word. This is session number 18, and today we are prepared to move on to the second verse, the sort of follow-up and companion verse uh, to verse seven, which we talked about last time, uh, at which in which John appears to uh, reverse what he just said. So um, today is the day we get to finish wrestling with old and new, uh, in particular. So let's uh, let's go ahead and take a look at where we're going here. Um, so we're up in paragraph four now, uh, and here we go. So you remember last week. We looked at, beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard. Now, this week, he says, on the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This is a tough one. <laughs> that is hard to understand. Um, so let's start with the. Uh, the first bit, um, uh, I, I, I divide this verse in myself into three bits, right? First, we have the, uh, the first part in which he's directly corresponding with the previous verse, right? On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you. Then there's the second part, which is sort of the, 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 the primary statement, right? The primary claim that's being made in this verse, which is true in him and in you. Okay, the new commandment, presumably, is true in him and in you. What does that mean and in what sense? And then he gives an explanation, because, right? Why why is it true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Okay, so uh, we'll kind of go, we'll kind of go through this here. So, Devorah, that's exactly my first question. What kind of new are we talking about here? So you'll remember, we did some research last time, or you guys helped me with research and helped me to understand, um, because I was interested to see the Greek words that were used for new and old, um, and how those corresponded with each other. And what we found when we were doing some research together last time um, was that there are a couple different, so that the the word for old, right, is paleon here, right, paleon. And now paleon can mean old in a couple senses. It can just simply mean old, ancient, from long ago. And that can often be a very good thing. As for instance, you can have old wine, which is better, as we we learn in the Gospels, right? 
Um, the old wine is better. The Paleon wine is better. So sometimes old things are good things. Some things, things are good because they're old, right? Um, but also there was this other sense of the word old, of the word Peleon, which means worn out, right? Um, uh, this is old in the sense that like it's old and it needs to be replaced. Um, uh, and as in the old wineskins, right? So old wine is good. Old wineskins, not so much, right? Old wineskins uh, are, you know, worn out uh, and need to be and need to be replaced, right? Um, you need to replace them with new wineskins. And so we were looking at there were two different words for new, which are both paired with the word peleon, which means old, right? Um, sometimes the opposite of peleon is neon, which neo, the, the which is which just means new, right? That's and that seems to just mean. Um, recent right like uh uh not not to have any kind of um or at least i don't think uh to have uh the, the sort of connotations of like um a replacement or it's just like you know something is from a time long ago and something from a time that's quite recent right it's like relatively neutral oppositions of old and new in that sense but then there was this other word um for for new which is like fresh, right? Something, something fresh and new um, in the sense of like replacing something that's worn out, right? Um, and those were, again, that's what we were getting with the wineskins. We were getting those, uh, we were getting those fresh wineskins to replace the old worn out wineskins, right? Okay, so those were, that was, that was the sort of the thing that we were looking at last time, the thing that we were learning. Um, and because back in verse seven, when he says, I'm not writing an, I, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. I'm writing an old commandment to you, right? He's using Peleon. The word Kainan is the new that he's using. And this is the one that means fresh, right? That's what, again, the old wineskins, new wineskins, right? I'm not writing a fresh commandment to you, but an old commandment. Um, and so, again, so, and what we were suggesting there yesterday, not, well, you know, yesterday in the world of Bible study was um, that he's opposing those two things, right? He's not saying, I'm not writing a, this is not a new commandment. This is a worn out old commandment, right? That he was, he was emphasizing the more like neutral or the more like respectable usage in a sense, right? Of the word old, like he's explicitly saying, this is, I, I'm writing you an old commandment, which is not worn out. It does not need replacing, right? Don't think that I'm writing you a replacement, that this is, this is designed to replace the, all the commandments that you've had before, right? This is not a new fresh commandment. Um, I'm not, I'm not inventing anything here, right? I'm not in, I'm not innovating anything here. I'm not suggesting to you that the teachings you have received are old and worn out and need to be replaced by this new commandment that I'm giving you, right? So that seems, and then he reemphasizes, you'll remember, um, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which he had ap arches from the beginning, right? Which we talked about, like the multiple senses in which that phrase can have in this context. And then he repeats the old commandment, Right? He tells us more about the old commandment that we had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, right? Okay, so the word that we have heard 
in and again we talked about sort of multiple overlay senses for that right then in verse eight again a new commandment i am writing unto you and he uses the same word kind a fresh commandment actually i am writing a fresh commandment to you so what's why why is he why is he saying that um I was comfortable with what he had said before, you know, a little bit relieved at the uh, the confirmation that he wasn't just like making new stuff up, right? That he was saying, you know, he seemed to be asserting, um, you know, by saying the old commandment is the word that you have heard, right? That which you have already heard, the gospel that you've, I'm not, I'm not preaching a new gospel to you, right? I'm not telling you anything crazy and different and new. I, this is, you've received the word. I'm, 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 I'm reaffirming that I'm talking about that. Right. But now he's like, actually, yeah, yeah, I am writing a fresh commandment unto you. Kind of same word, right? It's the word, the exact word. So he's not doing like one of those clever things where he's using the two different words, right? Like he might've been like, I'm not writing a fresh commandment unto you, but I am writing like a neo commandment, like a neon commandment unto you. Like it's uh it's new, but it's not, you know, like, you know, it's not like a replacement. It's not, it's not, but he's not doing that. Right. Um, he's, he's just, he just, he, he just absolutely reverses what he said before again. Um, or uh, as it's rendered, um, in the new american standard on the other hand um which it's generally rendered with a with a oops hang on i'm having issues here there we go um it's generally uh it's given with a footnote which say like the, the word is literally again um but that the the idiomatic usage of that is like on the other hand um which certainly i buy uh because of course he's not actually saying the same thing again, right? It doesn't literally mean again in the sense of like, let me repeat myself, right? Um, he's not repeating himself. He's reversing himself, uh, right? So that 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 seems to be, it's, it's more like how in English we might say, then again, right? Uh, as an indication of reversal, right? Because that's, it's clear that reversal is what's happening here. My question, I guess, is in what sense? Is he reversing himself? I certainly don't think in the way that we were understanding him in verse seven, that is to say, I'm not innovating. This is not a new gospel. This is the word that you have heard, right? I don't think he's taking that back. I don't think he's being like, actually, yeah, uh, now that I think about it, right? What I'm saying to you actually doesn't really have much to do with the words that you've heard. Like, I don't think he's reversing himself in that way at all, right? Um, I think, yeah, good. Randall was suggesting, and yet is another way to uh, to sort of um, translate or, 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 or paraphrase the, how pollen, uh, how how the the again is being used there. Um, yeah, Aiden, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Um, he's reversing it in um, basically. He seems to want to convey two different things, right? Thing number one. He wants to convey that uh, this is um, this is not a break from the teaching you have had before, right? This is not a break from the teaching you've had before. Uh, this is I'm not teaching a new gospel. I'm not. However, right? And yet again, 
right? So and, and so that that's the thing that he lays down first. This isn't this isn't some replacement message, right? Don't read what I am telling you in the framework of, uh, you know, like you need to like begin believing a brand new thing, right? This is the old commandment. This is the word that you have heard from the beginning, right? This is consistent with all of that stuff, right? Going back even potentially to the real RK, right? To the, to the, to all the way back to Genesis one, right? So he insists on the continuity of it, but then he says, and yet then again, it kind of is a fresh commandment, right? It's the old commandment, but the old has been made new here. Um, I do want you to realize this is a new way. There's there's a new way of thinking about things here, right? This commandment is on the one hand, it's not different from the commandment that has always been. But then again, kind of is actually. There's definitely something fresh about it. Um, and you need to think about it as something fresh, right? Again, not as a departure from the faith that you have received, not as a departure uh, from the tradition of our fathers even, right? Though I, I'm not 100% sure exactly whom the fathers are of the people that he's talking to. Um, that is to say, whether he was writing to a primarily uh, uh, Jewish or primarily Gentile uh, church, um, presumably a mix of both. He's writing to Ephesus. There would certainly have been Jews there, but... Um, um, uh, but presumably there would be Gentiles as well. Um, yeah. So as Aiden says, in this sense, it's old, but in this sense, it's new, right? Yeah. I think that that's, um, and here, I think this is another thing. The use of the word Kynan becomes really interesting to me again here, right? The first time he used the word Kynan, it was, I think he's implying it's not a replacement. You don't have to chuck the old one out and replace it with this new one, right? We're not, we're not, we're not upgrading the old commandment, uh, the old worn out commandment to a fresh new commandment, right? It's not like wineskins, right? The commandment is more like the wine than like the wineskins, right? Um, but now he's using the word kainen, new, fresh, in a different way, right? Having established, it's not about chucking out the old commandment. What he is doing is he's making the Pelion commandment kainen, right? He's making the old new. Um, our relationship with, you know, in Jesus as a result of what Jesus did. Remember the whole, like, Jesus happened. Now what, right? Um, that we kind of were starting the book with at the beginning. Um, one of the now what's is... Now the old, the Pelean has been made kainen, right? The old has been made fresh, has been made new. Um, and it's not a departure. It's not a, it's not a replacement. It is consistent. It is still the old commandment, right? But it's now also a kainen commandment. Like on the other hand, kind of is a kainen commandment, right? It does challenge us to really look at things quite differently, right? So, um, yeah, exactly. Randall says perhaps fresh in the sense of something old being refreshed. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think that's what he's sort of going for here, right? Um, 
and he is quite explicitly right quite ex- quite quite literally trying to have it both ways um to insist upon this is an old commandment this is the same old commandment that you have heard from the beginning but it's also fresh right you need to reorient your thinking if you have been um you know uh This, I think, is, well, again, I'm not sure exactly, it's hard to know um, exactly who his, you know, the audience he had in mind was. Um, But again, if you are just doing things the way that, you know, your family has always done things, um, if you're thinking about this in in old ways, um, it's actually you probably should refresh it, right? You probably should think about it. Uh, think about it differently because this is a new commandment, a fresh commandment. It's not quite the same as the commandments that we have had before. It's not a departure. It doesn't leave them behind. Um, the new commandment about which is in this paragraph, we are going to get starting in the next verse. He is going to bring the new commandment explicitly in he's been alluding to it right you know we've had this whole progression where he has said has began in paragraph three talking about keeping jesus's commandments right by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments if you say you know him and you don't keep his commandments you're a liar but if you keep his word um, but he, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected, right? Um, but he didn't say yet what that commandment is. Now he's talking about the old commandment, right? Saying that the, the commandment that he's talking about is continuous with other, but it's also it's also a fresh commandment, right? So when he talks about the, uh, he's going to get there in the next verse, talking about loving and hating, right? Um, but yeah, so, okay. So we're having it both ways. Um, and I think you can see a really important distinction if he had, had he merely said from the beginning, right? This is a fresh commandment. I want you to, I want you really to, to, you know, sort of accept this as a fresh new commandment. Um, there is a chance, you know, if the freshness were what he emphasized from the very beginning, there's a chance that people would have like said, okay, so I'm going to, I can chuck out all that old stuff, right? I can chuck out, not only can I obviously chuck out, you know, the Torah, for instance, right? Because this is the fresh commandment, which replaces the old commandment, right? Um, but I can even potentially chuck out, you know, some of the, uh, some of the other stuff that we learned, you know, about Jesus and everything, because this is the fresh commandment. This is like the, the true way right to follow jesus so okay i'm going to replace all that with this and he's saying no 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 don't do that right this is this is the old commandment that you have heard from the beginning and again i certainly think that the from the beginning is a pretty clear cue that he's including the torah in this right don't throw away the gospel message that you have heard don't throw away the torah either right um the the this the, the commandment is a continuation of that it is still that but but it's also fresh 
right? This is also, I want you to think about this as a fresh thing. Um, yes. And hey, you're right. It does feel like an echo of when Jesus says a new commandment, give I, um, I give to you. Yes. Yes. Which of course, there's a similar irony there, right? Which is that when Jesus says a new commandment, I give unto you. Um, it's actually not really new, right? It's actually the same thing that Jesus, not, I mean, it's not worded exactly the same, um, but it is not inconsistent, right? With what he said was the, the you know, his summary of the entire, uh, the entire law and the prophets, right? Um, uh, so we, again, we can see a similar kind of thing that Jesus is doing there in the gospel of John. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I do think that we're prompted, Aiden is suggesting again, maybe the idea isn't it uh, that it hasn't changed substantially, but or he's saying it hasn't changed substantially, but it's a good opportunity to look at it with new eyes. Yes. Um, he Remember, this is, I think, one of the main reasons why John is being so poetic in the first place. Um, you know, as, I, as I've been saying, um, if John's primary goal in this epistle were to just like make himself perfect, like to, to deliver his message as with as much brevity and clarity as possible, he could have done a much better job, <laughs> right? Like he would have probably approached it quite differently if brevity and clarity had been his top two priorities, right? Maybe clarity first and brevity second. Um, but that's not his goal, right? His goal is to encourage us to think this through that we are supposed to sit down and meditate on this right which is why i feel so comfortable doing this bible study in the way that we're doing it um because i feel like this is this is exactly the kind of thing that we're supposed to be doing with these verses um he, does he appear to contradict himself in verse six and, and seven and eight yeah he does that's and why does he do that because he wants you to say hey isn't that a contradiction? How does that make sense? Let me sit down and think through how that makes sense, right? Uh, that's that's what he wants us to do. This is uh, this is audience participation stuff. Just as uh, poetry is always audience participation stuff, right? Poetry never seeks to just say things in the plainest possible way. Poetry is always invoking things in a way that's going to make you think about it, um, and sometimes to make you feel about it in particular ways, right? Um, it is all reading. Anytime you read anything, you're never merely receiving something. That is, you're never passive as a reader. You're never, you never just, you're never just like a blank slate on which an author is writing. Um, you know, you are never just like standing there and passively receiving things. You are actively involved. Your comprehension, your imagination, your engagement um, with what is, you know, it's not just about the words that you're reading off the text. It's what you're thinking about the words that um, that you're reading out of the text, right? Um, poetry, much more than that, right? Poetry leaves more to you. Like it'll, poetry puts two things next to each other and doesn't tell you exactly how to connect them. It just puts them next to each other uh, suggestively, right? And there are lots of ways in which you can put them together. Um, we as readers have a lot of work to do, more work to do in poetry than prose. This is why a lot of people don't like poetry, because poetry is hard. Poetry takes time. Poetry takes effort, right? It takes a lot. It requires a lot more from us if we don't put, if we don't put into it 
right? We're not going to, we don't get almost anything out of it. It just sounds like nonsense, right? Now that it's still true, even with prose, that um, when you, if you don't put much into it, you're still not going to get that much out of it. Um, how many times have you ever read, had the experience of you, you read a page or you read a chapter of something and then you close the book and you're like, I have no idea what that said. Like, I just, I know that I read it. Like those words all passed before my eyes or whatever, but I, I, I don't retain or understand a thing. Right. I mean, that's happened to me many times. Um, uh, I mean, have you ever had to page backwards in a book to real, to like start reading again from where you stopped paying attention? <laughs> like, seriously, like your eyes went there. Right. But it doesn't, um, uh, it doesn't, you just you just don't register again like you have to put yourself in and john is a demanding expecting we're going to be putting a lot in uh to understanding this and that's where the richness of this all comes in anyway okay all right so let's let's think about the next part then um on the other hand yet again i'm writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you right and that's Right, which is true in him and in you. That's literally word for word translation of it. Now, the first thing we'll notice, by the way, does anybody understand interlinear Greek translation etiquette such as to explain to me why the word true is in all caps here? I don't understand that. Was that always happening? Did I just not notice that? No, we got truly and it wasn't in all caps. We got truth and it's not in all caps. Why do they all caps that? I don't understand. I mean, I'm not, I, it's, I'm fine with it. It's an important word. Um, it just seems a like a sort of weird thing to do. Yeah, Aiden was just asking the same thing. I have no idea why that's in all caps. Kind of odd, right? They do it again. Later on in this verse, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, again, I don't object, but I'm just like, is there like, is does that like mean? Is this a convention I'm unfamiliar with? I don't even know. Um, but um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, I was kind of distracted by that too. But okay, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in Him and in you. Um, <laughs> John suggests maybe the interns decided to spice it up. <laughs> it's good theory. <laughs> somebody, somebody loves this verse, right? Somebody loves this verse. Um, uh, that is like, maybe they're, I don't know. I mean, it does like point out the connection between those two. Like it, it, it's, uh, draws attention to the pattern, which I'm in favor of, I just have never seen them do that before. There'd be a lot of all caps in this uh, in this in this epistle if we did it that way. But anyway, all right, whatever, it's fine. Um, okay, which is true in him and in you? What is true? What are we even talking about here? Um, the commandment, right? I'm writing a new commandment, which is true. Okay, so the commandment he's writing is true. It's true in him that is in Jesus, I'm pretty sure the hymn is still Jesus, um, which is true in Jesus and in you, 
plural. This that's a I'm right. I'm positive of that. Right. Yeah. 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 Two P. Uh, second person plural. Okay. So it's true in in Jesus, and it's true in us. Um, the commandment, presumably, is true in Jesus and in us. And I agree, Aiden, that in, Aiden says, seems like not a straightforward use of that preposition. Totally agree. Um, Okay, it's true. The commandment is true in him. The best way I can think of understanding the statement that the commandment is true in Jesus is that it is, it fits Jesus, right? Like Jesus, um, Jesus lives out the commandment, right? Like his, Jesus is consistent, is completely consistent with the commandment. So in that sense, the commandment is true in him. So, you know, if you said, um, you know, if, if, uh, like, let's take a, like a totally separate situation. Um, well, but what ridiculously theoretical situation. So let's say like some other commandment, right? Like, so if you give your child a commandment, uh, to keep his room clean, right. And the child's room remains clean. Then you could say, I perhaps in a similar sense to how John is using this phrase here that that commandment is true in your child like your child has stayed true to that commandment um there is a there is a there is a a, a, a consistency right a harmony between the commandment that you have given to the child and the actions of the child right the child is living up to that um uh right I, it's, uh, that I think is one way in which to understand that, that there's, that there's the commandment and that it is true in Jesus. Jesus is a true representative, right? Illustration of that commandment. His life is totally consistent with the commandment. Um, the hard part comes right afterwards. Because it's true in us too. Which leads me to wonder <laughs> whether whether it can be a statement of like uh like an assessment of action, right? Um that is to say m- my room isn't always clean, <laughs> right? <laughs> to 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 use my parallel. Um, And John has acknowledged this, that we sin and need to confess our sins and uh, our should be grateful for the propitiation of our sins. Right. And if we say we don't have sin, then we're deceiving ourselves and the, the truth, right. The Aletheia is not in us. Um, So he's well aware of the fact that, we don't always do this. Now he has just said, remember, this is seems to be picking up on what he just talked about in verse six, right? Um, by this, we know that we are in him, the one claiming legon to abide in him ought just as he walked to walk. 
right? Ought are required. Like it's, it's a necessity that that occur. So that um, similarity, similarity, far too weak a word, that identity, right? Between how he walked and how we are to walk, ought to walk, are obligated to walk. That similarity between his walk and our walk would seem to be one thing that um, underlies this, to say that the commandment is true in him and in us. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Randall, that's a really good question. Randall is wondering, is there any chance that in has a different sense in the two cases? That is, is it true in you in the same sense that it's true in him? Um, and well, of course, sometimes, you know, a preposition like that can be used in two different senses, but we need some kind of cue, right? To differentiate there. And I don't, I can't see any. I mean, it's just in auto, Kai, in Hyman, right? In Hyman. I mean, it's it's like in him and in you. Um, uh, I, it's exactly parallel. Um, apparently, in the same syntactic context. So I can't see any good reason to differentiate them. And then especially, Randall, when I go back to verse six, again, that um, assertion that our walk and his walk ought to be, right, are obligated to be identical if we claim that he abides in us, right? Um, And then, of course, Randall, there's the coming back to that idea of him abiding in us, right? Um, Should there be a distinction, right, of how these commandments are true, in him and in us. Um, because although on the one hand, of course, I, I, I'm sure we all feel tempted to say like, well, yes, to say the commandment is true in Jesus is one thing, but to say the commandment is equally true and in the same way in me seems like a crazy thing to say. Except for the fact, of course, that Jesus is abiding in us. And so it's not. That's one of the points that John seems to have been implying Um, He's talked about the truth being in us, right, at various times. Um, And I think one of the things that we begin to see, I feel like this is, it's a gradual thing that he's doing over time, right? When he first says, the truth is not in us, which he does, as I recall, what is it, verse six of chapter one? Yeah, now that's do not practice the truth. The truth is not in us is verse eight. Okay, right, we lie and do not practice the truth. The truth is not in us. Um, We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So at first, that just sounds like a slightly more extreme way to say that we're lying, right? We have just told a lie. The thing that we have said is untrue. The truth is not in us. It's a, it's like a a more, um, more extreme, more um, dramatic way to say it, right? Um, That the truth is not in us. But then when we add in verse 10, his word is not in us, right? And then we get in the, into the third paragraph, right? The truth is not in him again. Um, and then in verse six, 
the one who says he remains in him, ought himself. Um, so we've got the truth being in you and you remaining in him. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so I think that this 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 idea of that the truth being in us is not just a an exaggerated way, like it's not just a polemical statement, you know, polemical meaning when you're making an argument against somebody or you're, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of debating. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so if you're trying to make a point very dramatically, um, you know, instead of saying like that thing you said does not happen to be true, right. Instead, you might try to really make that hit home harder. And so you might say something more dramatic, like there is no truth in you, right? Like that's the kind of thing that you do when you're being polemical and you're debating. Um, so it kind of, again, what initially sounds sort of like that, I think we're beginning to see is not that he, what he was doing was beginning to hint towards something else. That is that the truth can be in us, that the truth should be abiding in us and that if we say the one thing and we do the other thing it shows that that's not happening right um that he means something much more specific much more literal about the truth not being in us anyway brandall this is all coming back around to sort of that that distinction between it being true in him and in us um and increasingly i think it likely that the, he's not making a distinction there um, because he is indeed blurring distinction, the distinction in a sense, blurring the distinction between him and us, right? There is no Jesus over here, but then us over here. Jesus is in us, right? Um, and so that which is true of Jesus should be true of us. We, sh- we are obligated just as he walked to walk, right? Um, anyway, okay. Um, so Hayo is talking about, um, aletheia, that the Greek word, uh, for truth there, um, that one meaning of it is according to fact. Um, another is that, uh, it is pertinent to being real or genuine. Yes. Um, Hey, let me see if I can because I've, I've been thinking about this and it's my understanding, right? My understanding is that the, um, the Hebrew word emeth for truth, right? Um, primarily means like consistent, right? S- remaining consistent. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's, um, so hey, the, I'm trying to make sure that I'm under, understanding and explaining properly the two different senses of the word "true" that you're talking about. Is on the one hand, so you've got external facts, right? Facts that are totally external to you. And if you say a thing and you say yes, that's true, you mean it's consistent with those external facts, right? But there's another sense in which you can be true, which is to be consistent, like to yourself if you see what I mean, I like that you are true in the sense of like, you don't check God's unchangingness, right? The, when, uh, you know, God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow when God, um, I should be able to quote this. 
that verse in Exodus, which is the most quoted verse in the entire Old Testament internally, like the verse that gets quoted more times in the rest of the Old Testament than any other verse, the most oft repeated verse in the Old Testament um, is Jesus saying, or not Jesus, God saying who he was to Moses, um, uh, that he is, um, yeah, I should, I'm not going to try to quote it because I'm going to mess it up. Um, uh, what is it? Exodus 36, the one after the golden calf incident, um, when he defines himself, this is the one, it's the one that then, uh, talks about, um, uh, uh, you know, punishing people to the three and four, but uh, then forgiving people to thousands um, of generations. That's somebody could quote that for me so that I can stop scrambling for the exact words because I'm afraid to quote the words, uh, fearing that I'm going to quote the wrong ones. Um, um, but yes, it's when God describes his nature there. Um, one of the things that is essential to the you know, the concept of God's nature in the Torah is his truth in that second sense, hey, that we were talking about, right? That sense of being true to consistent, genuine, true to himself, right? He's not going to change. He's not going to change based on the circumstances. He's not going to, but he's going to be himself and do and be what he's being. Um, whereas that other sense of aletheia, that other sense of truth is, um, according to outside things right to be to be uh, uh in alignment right with sort of external truth now this is sort of the irony when you talk about god being true is that there is nothing external right god is the external that's why that's sort of the significance of his name i am that i am right um uh with no ex there is no external referent that you can use uh for uh for for God and his being there, right? Um, I am the one who is. But anyway, um, okay, what does any of this have to do with this? Because we're trying to understand the sense in which the commandment is true, because that's what he's saying. I'm writing new commandment unto you, which is true. This commandment, it's consistent. It's, um, it's genuine. It holds true where? In him, in Jesus, and in you. Hmm. I still don't think I understand that. But let's go on to the next part. Maybe it will help us. Because he does give some explanation. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Um, okay. First of all, words. Passing away. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate that. Yes, that's the verse. Exodus, it wasn't 36, it was 34. See, look at that, I misled you. Um, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Yes, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, at the end that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. That's it. That's the verse. That's the verse that is the most often repeated, often repeated verse in the, uh, like the, the verse most often quoted 
the Torah verse most often quoted within within uh, within the whole Hebrew Bible. Um, yes, yes. Um, okay, thank you, Stephen. Yeah, I was a, I was getting lost in the like merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Um, I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't. I didn't want to uh, uh, make a mistake in there. Um, but yes, truth. Truth is in there, abundant in goodness and truth, right? And what does that mean? That God is abundant in truth. Um, and again, what it seems to mean uh, in the context of the Torah is that he doesn't change, right? He is internally consistent. Um, uh, and which would then seems to be borne out by what he talks about, about consistency generation uh, by generation. Um so yes, yes, uh, that seems that's that's just thank you, Stephen. Just what I was thinking of. But anyway, okay, okay, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. So I was doing words. Let's do words. Um, the darkness is passing away. So paragetai is an interesting word to me here. The darkness is passing away. What does that mean? Well, that word literally means like so. Most of the time that this word is used, uh, so if we look this up, if we look this up here, look at the concordance over here on the right-hand side for paragō. When this word is mostly used, it mostly is used in a physical sense, right? So like when Jesus is moving on to another place, right? He passed forth from there. So Jesus like left is what that means. Jesus went on. From there, Jesus departed, right? This is the next usage. Um, when Jesus was passing by, we get that same word, right? So um, he was going along the sea, and Mark, as he passed by, he saw Levi. Um, we get a passerby, we get like a, a noun version, right? Um, uh, when this is uh, um, Simon, right, who gets uh, uh, pressed into helping Jesus carry his cross, right? Um, and so passed by them, right? So, and, and, and as he passed by, he saw a man, right? So these, this is the way in which, and this is John even here, right? Um, so in most of the uses of this verb in the New Testament, um, it is simply used to describe physical action, right? So the, the physical, the metaphor that is being used here when he says the darkness is passing away, it's, it's going, it's moving by, right? It's headed off. It's departing. Um, uh, and so I think we can see the metaphor there. There's one other place here in First Corinthians. We get two usages. One, this is the verse we're looking at. And then this is a verse that's coming up pretty soon. Um, so John's, uh, which is interesting to notice. Surprise, surprise. This metaphor is going to come back in a little while in John. He's going to do it again. Um, and that's not shocking. But there's this one passage in Paul where Paul seems to use this metaphor in the same kind of way. Um, uh, so if we go to first Corinthians seven thirty one is where it is. Yes. Um, uh, so he's talking about, right. Um, uh, as those who weep, as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice, as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy, as though they did not possess, and those who use the world, as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. 
right? So the form of this world is passing away. So now we're not going to get into what exactly Paul means by the form of this world and all that kind of thing, but, um, uh, but that's fine. We don't need to, we can see that he's using the metaphor in the same way, right? Um, it's, it's going by, it's going by, it's departing, right? Um, and then John would seem to be using this in a similar way here about the darkness, right? It's here. It's the darkness um, that um, that is passing away, right? It's going. It's going past. And the true light already shines. Um, shines is this is tense present indicative active right is shining um this is a description of the current thing was is passing away this is present indicative passive hmm passive huh hmm i'd want to be careful here because i think perhaps the passive voice might be used with this verb in a different way than we'd use the passive voice in english Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, it might be deponent. That's kind of what I was wondering, Hayden. Um, but, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> Randall, I need you to unpack the word medio passive. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 into, I'm very, very interested in this word. I have no idea. Uh, that is outside my vocabulary. Um, Right, that it could be used in an active sense. That's my understanding of of what calling it a, dep- a deponent verb means. Um, the darkness is passing away. If we were to read it as literal passive, Devorah, it would be more like the darkness is being taken away. Right, um, but um, but yeah, I think it's it's sounds like um, it has a, a more or less active sense because the darkness is passing away. Um, Anyway, okay, because the darkness is passing away and the true light already shines. All right, how does the NSB give it to us again? And, oh, yeah, almost exactly that way. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It would be weird with the, in the passive. It's not, yeah, I agree. Um, oh, no, it's not telling me it's middle voice, Randall. I don't get middle voice at all. Uh, it's a big problem of mine, but Hey, I'm coming to understand the aorist tense. So like, you know, maybe there's hope for me anyway. Okay. Okay. Um, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The true light already shines. Now, What do we have to understand this? Well, we've looked at the opposition between light and darkness before. That has been the, that was the very beginning of the message that he was giving us. God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. And these are the same words, false and scotia, right? The, 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 right? Scotia? Scotia. Yep. Uh, False and scotia, same word pairing that we got here in verse five. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We can't walk in the darkness and be in, if we say we walk in, we, we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness. We lie and do not practice. But if we walk in the light, right? Darkness and light, this pairing, same words, 
same words, but notice how the context changes. The darkness is passing away and the true light already shines. Okay. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. (laughs) I'm laughing at myself because what I want to say is going to sound really confusing after what we were just, after all the discussion we were just having of the passive and active verbs. But I'm going to say it anyway, at risk of that confusion. It sounds to me like the, the way that he was talking about darkness before was passive, passive in the sense of it wasn't doing anything right? Um, we were told that God is light and there isn't any darkness in him, right? It was, a, it was, it was a negative. We're told, being told what he was not, right? And walking in darkness, even that is in a sense, um, in, in a sense, negative, negative in relationship to God, because God is light and in, in him is no darkness, right? So to be walking in darkness means to be separated from God, but the darkness was not itself doing anything, you see what I mean? Um, there was a sense dark darkness existed, right? Um, there's no darkness in God, but there is darkness. You can walk in the darkness. If you do walk in the dark, you only can walk in the darkness if you're not in fellowship with God, because God is light and in him is no darkness, right? And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, um, then, you know, then we're good, right? Then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and we have fellowship with one another. But um, now we're told that the darkness is passing away. Darkness is leaving. Um, Yeah, Stephen says, doesn't it seem a little odd that it says the darkness is passing away rather than the light is increasing? Yeah, we don't normally talk that way, right? you know, if you are uh, outside at like 5 a.m., right, at least in my latitude, uh, one looks about and would be inclined to say it's getting light, right? Um, the light is coming. Um, rarely do you go into a room and say like, wow, it's much less dark than it used to be. Or like you step out the door and say, um, the dark has gotten less, right? Um, Yeah, so I agree, Stephen. It does seem odd that he's talking about the darkness passing away. Um, (laughs) You're right. John says, no, no one ever says, when you turn on the lights, no one ever says, hey, who turned off the dark? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the on and off switches, right? Against the positive and the negative. God is light and in him is no darkness at all, right? And our light switches work on a similar principle. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. The light is the positive. The darkness is the negation, right? And yet the darkness is... Um, spoken of as a positive thing here the darkness is leaving it's passing away it's going away and the true light is already shining now those two things are obviously correlated with one another right you know the darkness is passing away at 5 a.m because the light of the sun is arriving 
right? Um, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the true light is already shining now. Um, yeah, and hey, you're of course right. John didn't have light switches. Uh, and natural light is light is a great deal more gra- more gradual for sure. Absolutely. Um, it is, of course, hey, as you suggest there, I think, very possible that it is because we are acclimated to electric lights in our culture um, that we tend not to talk about darkness that way. Um, because we have lights with on switches, right? Um Sorry, uh, a Tolkien quote just floated into my head, Gimli, talking about the glittering caves and how when they wished it, they would let the dark return. Gimli talks about darkness in a positive way like that. Sorry, um, only semi-relevant, but relevant, Heya, to your reminder that in different cultural circumstances, they might well think about it differently, right? But what I would say is it does seem contrary, well, not contrary, different from how he was talking about darkness in paragraph two. Um, There, God was light and the darkness was about the negation, right? Um, Darkness was an illustration of simply where God is not. And so, therefore, if you are walking in the darkness, i.e. where God is not, then obviously, and by definition, you cannot be in fellowship with God. You can't be in uh, in communion with God and yet be separated from him and out, that is to say, out in the darkness, walking in the darkness where he is not. Um, so the darkness there, let me putting this a slightly different way, what exactly is it that's passing away? What is the thing that is walking off, right? That is, that is, that is departing here. Um, Because so far, as I said, in his opposition between darkness and light, the darkness was not treated as a positive thing. It was simply where God was not right. Where God's light was not. Um, But now this shift, this seems to be a shift. into calling darkness, considering darkness, speaking of it as if it is a positive thing. Um, And I think that that's important. I think it's important for us to notice that. I think that he is adding something to our understanding of this opposition. When he introduced the opposition between darkness and light, it was first and foremost, to talk about the light and to emphasize that the two of them cannot are not blended, that the two of them don't mix. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. If you're walking in the darkness, you're not in the light. Remember that? So that's that was the emphasis. But but there was no agency to the darkness. Like it didn't do anything, the darkness. It's just where God was not. Now the darkness is doing something. It's passing away, which suggests it's a thing. It has agency. 
And I think that's relevant because he's going to be talking about this. Um, He's going to be talking about the darkness as an agent, as a thing that exists and does stuff. Um, And that the darkness is in opposition to the light in a more literal and active way. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining is passing away. Um, Present. Right. It's, it's a thing that's happening. It has not happened. It's not, com- it's not complete action, right? It's what is currently happening. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The true light is shining even now. That presumably is why the darkness is passing away as darkness does when lights begin to shine, right? Um, so yes, that image of the time before the dawn, right? Um, I don't know. That's not the, he's not alluding to that explicitly as a metaphor. So maybe I shouldn't kind of lean on that. That's the image that I keep coming up with in my head when I'm trying to picture the true light is shining, but the darkness is still in the process of passing away. Right. The best picture in my own head I can get for that is that time right before the sun comes up when the darkness is is passing away. It is it is not fully dark anymore. It is going away and you can tell it's going away. Um, And the light is already shining. But the darkness has not yet passed away, so the light is not yet full. But I don't want to lean on it too hard because, again, we're not, he doesn't, he's not talking about the sun explicitly. Like, he, it's not John's metaphor. That's my metaphor. It's not John's metaphor. Um, it helps me to understand this, I think. That's the picture I have, but that's, um, it's not a picture he's handing me. So I want to be, um, I want to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, and the reason I find myself wanting to resist my mental picture there is that what John suggests is something that I think is impossible to picture. Here's what I mean. And this, by the way, is very often true. Let me do, um, if I could do a very, very brief and I promise relevant um, digression into the history of English poetics. Um, there have been different periods, different literary periods in which like different ways of, you know, talking about things and different ways of composing poetry and such were in vogue. Right. Um, and so like, for instance, in the romantic poetry period, it was all about like painting mental pictures for people, helping them to picture this like landscape or whatever and using Mm -hmm. Uh, metaphors and similes that would help them to picture it more clearly. Um, But then if you go backwards a a couple hundred years, you get to uh, like what is often called metaphysical poetry, um, which I'm a huge fan of um, like John Donne and such. And um, a lot of those, um, a lot of those poets 
use metaphors which you're not supposed to picture in your head. You're supposed to think about them. Um, that is, it's 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 an intellectual puzzle for the brain. It's not designed to for you. It's not giving you something to help you. You're uh, uh, like a visual picture of something. Um, and so this uh, um, leads to sometimes you'll get old new newer poets commenting on the poetry of older poets and assuming that the older poets were trying to convey things like they did. So um, like modern poets who think about like, um, um, you know, like the line from Andrew Marvel, my vegetable love shall grow vaster than empires and more slow. Um, who was it? T.S. Eliot who said that like, it makes him think of, a, um, you know, of this like enormous tomato. Um, and, um, uh, but of course, like <laughs> Marvel's metaphor there about the vegetable love, um, it's not, you're not supposed to picture If you're picturing the enormous vegetable, you're doing it wrong, right? Um, you're supposed to think about what that means. You're supposed to take the, the concept of growth, right? Vaster than empires. And you're supposed to, uh, combine that with the other idea, the idea of the vegetable love. Um, and I'm not going to get into a whole exegesis of, Andrew Marvel, but, um, but do you see what I mean? Like when, when you're used to one particular poetic convention, it's easy to sort of assume that that's what you're seeing everywhere. Right. Um, I don't think in verse eight here, what he's saying about the darkness passing away and the true light already shining. I don't think we're supposed to picture this because what he says is that the darkness is leaving, but it's not, it's in the process of leaving, but it's still there. And he says the true light is already shining. So again, it's not exactly my picture of the pre-dawn light. Um, that's the closest I come to when I try to picture it because I want to picture it. That's what I keep coming. But that's not what he says. He says, or rather, like it's like what he's saying is, okay, okay, picture, picture the pre-dawn, right? When it's still dim, that you can tell the darkness is going away, but the darkness is still there. Um but picture it being like that when the sun is up, right? Which we can't do because when the sun is up, it's not there. Um, light, there is nothing in our experience, which really, I mean, even with like a candle, if you have a candle in a dark room, you can say that there's still darkness in the room, even though there's light, because it's on the other side of the room, it's still really hard to see, right? But that's not what he's describing either. Because he says the darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining and the darkness is passing away. So these two things, he's asking us to think about these two things together. But I don't think we can um, uh, we can picture it. <laughs> Aiden says, to be fair, vegetable isn't the most appropriate word in poetic registers, at least to modern ears. Yeah, exactly. Um, ironically, um, like it was a it was a really dirty joke back in the 17th century. <laughs> Modern people don't get it because they don't know what that meant. Anyway, whatever. Like I said, not, not important other than to illustrate this point. Um, if I try to picture it literally what he's describing, what I picture is a thing that can't be, like that does not actually happen. And that is a bright light, the true light, right? So imagine a really bright light in a dark room. And yet the light of that light has not spread to the whole room. Like it is spreading, 
right? The darkness is going away and it's going to be completely gone, right? Soon. But but it isn't there yet, right? So if I were imagining light that moved at way lower than the speed of light, right? If I if I if I imagine light moving at like a you know a few feet an hour or something like that, right? You know, it's it would that seems to be more like the kind of situation that he's describing. The true light is shining. The sun is up, man. Like there, it's 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 here. The true light is shining. And I think notice he adds the world the word already. Right, we get this adverb here, um, and um, I think adverbs. Well, I think all words are probably important, but I think that um, adverbs seem to me kind of conspicuous. Um, he could just say the true light shines; we'd get it right. Um, but he's emphasizing something here: the true light already shines, like it's shining right now um it's not just threatening to shine it's not just about to shine it's not the sun about to come up over the horizon it is there the light is shining and the darkness is also there it's passing away it's totally passing away right um we know it's going to happen to the darkness but it hasn't happened yet it is happening but it has not been completed um, and that's the situation that we get exactly praised, like it's extreme slow-mo. Yeah, it's really hard. I said, I don't think we can picture it. We're not supposed to picture it. I think we're supposed to think about it. Um, think about the true light, which is shining and driving away the darkness and the darkness is passing away, but, but it's not, but it's still there. The darkness is still there. Um, I think that's what he's describing here. And that's why my metaphor, that's why I'm, because as, as soon as I was articulating the metaphor, it doesn't, I, I can see that it doesn't fit. My pre-dawn light metaphor, right? Because in the pre-dawn, it's pre-dawn. The light's not shining yet, right? Um, yeah, yeah. The true light is already shining the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining this is john's characterization of our world this is where we live we might not be able to picture it in our head but we live it every day the true light is shining currently and yet the darkness is still there but the darkness is passing away and the true light now shines but now, two things that we have to figure here. One, we have to talk about the connection of true and true, um, which our interlinear translators are extremely emphatic that we ought to do because we've put them in all caps, right? And I have no problem following um, their uh, very great insistence here. Um, the commandment is true in him and in us because the true light is already shining. Okay. Is this true in the same sense? The commandment is true in Jesus and the true light is already shining. 
Oof. In what sense is the light true? True light as opposed to false lights? In one sense. Like that would be a simple sense, right? Um, we've seen true being opposed to lies, right? So not a lying light, a true light. Um, a consistent light. It seems to me that the sense of true light depends on the first one, right? That is, the new commandment is true in Jesus and in us. Mm, do you think it's fair to say that the true light is already shining is actually like um like a a restatement of the earlier one uh, something along the lines of the commandment is true in Jesus and in us you know which or in other words the true light is already shining is that the true light I mean, we know God is light, right? God is presumably the true light, right? But that he's using, he takes, he first takes this idea of the commandment being true in us. And then is basically saying, and this is the true light that is shining, which of course brings everything back to God and fellowship with God, which is where he came from. Right? How do we know that we have come to know him? How do we know we are in fellowship with him, with a God who is light? If we keep his commandments. If the commandments are true in him and in us, then the true light shines. Then we, we remain in him, he remains in us, and the true light shines. Right, All of those things seem to weave together, and that seems right. And then embedded in the middle of that, he says, because the darkness is passing away. Right? He says, you know, it, it, like it's it's almost like it's a it's a corollary, sort of a side effect, right? Um, God is light. God has always been light, right? But why is the darkness passing away now? The darkness is passing away because the commandment is true, both in Jesus and in us, and so now the darkness is passing away. This is perhaps the sense in which it's a fresh commandment, right? It was an old commandment, of course, same as the old commandment, but it's fresh now because now things are different. Now that fellowship with God is possible. Now we can even go on way back to the beginning, right? Now our joy can be made complete. Um, this thing has happened right? The word of life stuff, right? The word of life stuff has come. Things are different now. God is light. Always been true. That's not new. That's old, right? But what is new is the blood of Jesus, his son, cleansing us from all sin. And that therefore, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? That our unrighteousness can become his righteousness 
because of his because we can be cleansed right that cleansing can happen through his blood and thus we so if we we come to know him we come into fellowship with him we are in koinonia with god with jesus if we keep his commandments and so in this sense the commandment that we keep this situation is new the relationship with god is new the righteousness we can gain through jesus is new it's fresh but it's not a replacement the old isn't just worn out and being replaced right um but that's why the true light is already shining it's shining not just in him but in us too the commandment is true in him and in us and so the true light and that is the true light already shining yeah devora it's not quite as simple as saying this is what i mean it's what i'm struggling with devora it's not quite as simple as saying the true commandment is the true light that they're the same thing um but almost <laughs> that is to say that if if the commandment is true in us then the true light shines in us it's definitely true in him right and thus the statement the true light is already shining is true one way or the other right it's, it's an accurate statement right true in that other sense um but the true light will shine in us as well if we keep his commandments if he abides in us um yes hey i agree john seems to find the oneness between us and jesus very important absolutely and he's only really just begun to talk about that right to hint at that and i think that that's what he's building up to here um again he just wrote raised the issue which will be a big issue in much of the rest of the book he just raised the issue of um abiding right abiding some and somebody abiding in something abiding in something else right like that you know if we abide in him if we say that we abide in him then we are obligated even just as he walked to walk um so yes yes but then in in that sense hey this would then be the the um the outcome of that right the corollary of that um if we do abide in him then the new commandment is true the commandment is true in us as it is in him which means that in us as in him the true light is already shining the true light which makes the darkness to pass away from the world um yeah yeah um i still feel like i don't have an absolute i still feel like i'm just grasping at what it means for the commandment to be true in him and in you Aiden, uh, back to those ins that I'm not really positive I'm seeing the full implications of. 
a new commandment, which is true in him. Yeah. I will keep reflecting on that. I feel like there's still something that I'm missing, not a thing that I'm missing. I think that I'm, I'm sort of failing to put it all together there. Um, but, but I feel much better about the darkness passing away and the true light already shining. That seems like a much clearer encapsulation of all of that darkness and light stuff that we were getting before. And then he's going to go on to apply it uh, to the commandment uh, to illustrate it more clearly in verses nine through 11 uh, as he goes on. All right. Well, next week, uh, fortunately, I, I, I would stay and continue hashing this out if uh, this were going to be one of those weeks when I was going to have a long hiatus before, but I will be back next week. So next week, we'll come back to those prepositions a little bit. Um, I'll reflect on this. You guys can reflect on this too. Um, more about what that means, the, about the commandment being true in him and in us. Um, I feel like there's more that we need to figure there. Um, but then we'll move forward into verse nine and we will get another one of those same, these next three verses will be of a very similar pattern to what we have seen before. Um, uh, so, but, um, but yet he's doing something different here than we have seen him doing. So uh, excited to, excited to dig into that. All right. Uh, thanks everybody uh, for joining me today. And I, I look forward to continuing to wrestle with paragraph four next time. Thanks everybody. All right. And yeah, just to confirm, I, I will be here next week, the week after that's going to be the last one, unfortunately, for I think five weeks in a row. Um pretty sure five weeks in a row. I think I'll be back like the last weekend in October, but um, anyway, thanks everybody for joining me. That was a lot of fun. Uh, this was hard. This is one of those verses and man, I'm telling you, it's not going to get easier uh, in verse t- in chapter two. Chapter two is um, chapter two is puzzling in a lot of ways. I mean, we're going to get into like his like really, really poetic repeated phrases thing with the, of the young men and old and fathers and children and everything. And then we're going to get into, then we're going to get to the antichrist. Oh man. Like it's all over the place. Um, really, really fun, difficult, challenging stuff coming up, but thanks everybody. And uh, I will see you guys next week. Bye now. Okay, that's it for this week. I'll be back with another episode soon as we continue our march through 1 John. I'm glad you could join me. Godspeed.